It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Susan Drum, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. Thank you so much. Great to be on here. And I just love the opportunity to talk with you. Well, it's, uh, the pleasure's all mine. And, uh, and I was jotting down a few notes and I was writing my own leaders playlist. And I'm curious to know what the leaders playlist means to you, Susan. Yes. Well, it's my book uh, that is launching this October and uh, very excited about it because it's been four years in the making. The title is The Leader's Playlist. Unleash the power of music and neuroscience to transform your leadership and your life. And the thing about it is that what we're really looking at is how we might get in our own way in the workplace and not produce the results that we ultimately want. You know, maybe you're having trouble scaling your organization. Maybe you are overwhelmed by the pace of change um, and your team is overwhelmed by the pace of change, right? Or um, maybe you just feel like you can't trust your team to delegate. You know, all these things can get in the way. And uh, ultimately, I'm giving you an answer that gives you the driver's seat to be able to make those shifts. And when you make the shifts internally, then the external world is going to shift. And so we all have a program or a playlist that operates as a ceiling on our leadership effectiveness. And I've been doing leadership development for over 20 years now. So what I've seen over and over is how our childhood wounds, and we all have them in one form or another, show up in our leadership today. And I was really curious about this, both from the perspective of how did mine, right? And I and, and in the book, I talk about my experience with this, but I just kept, of all the leaders I've worked with, I just kept seeing what was going on for them really had its roots way back in early days. And so we use the power of music, both literally and figuratively. Figuratively, and you've got this sort of playlist of a childhood wound playing in the background, right? And for me, I'll give an example. Mine was, I'm treated unfairly. And so essentially, I'm broadcasting this energetic signal of I'm treated unfairly because that's what I adopted. And I keep getting experiences returned to me where I'm treated unfairly. And I keep saying, why is this happening? And so we look to, to use music, and I can go more into that. I'm going to pause for a minute about why music. 
but to actually shift that patterning into something far more powerful so that you are broadcasting an entirely different message and what gets returned to you is a different experience than what you've had sort of in these threads through your life. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. And one of the things that uh, really, truly resonated with me, and I was very lucky that I got an advanced copy of your book, which I've been able to consume, and it, it is wonderful. There's not any book that I've ever read like it, and it really is about, for me, encompassing the power of music to thrive. And as someone who has used music a lot in my life, as an escapism mechanism when I was younger. And when I when I do long distance running there, I would listen to the same song on repeat for like an hour and a half or two hours because of the momentum that it helped me create. Yes. And so is this kind of what we're on the pathway of yes, talking about? Totally, totally. Look, um, the thing about music and the research in it is it primes the neural landscape to be able to make change stick and happen faster. So, you know, you think about it, athletes know this, they you know, remember Phelps face and he had this face and he was getting ready to go into the water and getting himself prepared and listening to the music. We can use music to shift our state. And we already know this because we work out with music, but we don't use it as strategically as we could because it has this ability to directly shift our emotional state that we're in. Why not leverage that? in a better way to come with the energy that we want in any situation. But more importantly, and I'm not just talking about using it from when you work out to get pumped up, I'm using it in a way to look at what are these deep ingrained patterns that you notice you're stuck in and you want to shift. How can you use music to change even that? And I think that's where the power is because you can and the more you kind of get, you have to first get clear, what is that old playlist running in the background? What are the underlying emotions that you keep recurringly feeling and what and how you shift it is the work and the process that we go through in the book to the new playlist and then creating the actual songs that will best anchor that emotional experience. And one of the things that I found so interesting was the as the book goes through, each chapter is sort of dedicated to a particular person whose name has been changed, I'm guessing, for anonymity. Yes. But they're all executive CEOs and CFOs. And, or and entrepreneurs. Like, entre- yeah. like, and because and as an executive coach, you like you legitimately coach billionaires, right? Yeah. Yes. And, and, and I wanted to crowbar that in there because I think like a lot of people had this, this image of, of what billionaires are and the challenge they go through. From a credibility point of view, I just want to make that very clear. But what I found was the the recurring theme was the resistance from a lot of these people who were so intellectual and so intelligent that they didn't think this was going to benefit them. Yes, and the look, it's our protection, it's our armor, right? And when you have a high intellect, you use that as your weapon of choice, but it can also, it's getting in your way and limiting effectiveness because we're a full, full human being. We're not just in the brain. Your body sends off signals, more signals than you can ever imagine. And in fact, um, this is interesting. You can measure this. The heart sends an electromagnetic signal three feet off your body, whereas the brain sends an electromagnetic signal an inch and a half off your body. So what people first experience when you walk into the room 
is your emotional signal. That's why I say you're sending out and they can look at when you're feeling happy, you're sending a different signal than you are when you're feeling frustrated. Now it's not to say like emotions are bad. And if I'm frustrated or overwhelmed, that's bad because they're important data points for us to recognize, Oh, what needs to shift? We want to recognize them. We don't want to necessarily shove them away. But what I'm really talking about is when we are stuck in a recurring pattern and you think about it, your dog knows this, right? Your dog can tell when you've had a good day and a bad day, they pick that up. Well, what are they, how do they do that? Because they're reading this energetic signal and people are sending that out when you, that's why certain people, you just feel good in their presence, right? It's just like, and other people you're like, I don't know, like something, something just rubs me the wrong way about that person. And I think a lot of it has to do with this whole research around how our emotions play into who we are as a full human being, not just what we think. It's so interesting you bring that up. I've spoken about this a couple of times on previous interviews that I've done. As my my healing journey progressed, Susan, I, I developed a better relationship with dogs and cats and and they yes. would they would come up to me and they would like like not that they were fr- fearful of me prior to that but they they were way more connected and they would feel like almost like they were safe with me and people s- scoff it off and they're like oh you're imagining things or you smell like steak you know like <laughs> but it was it's a real thing and I think it's animals in general there was a horse in Arizona when we were in Cave Creek and uh, that this woman was trying to get back into the horse uh, trailer float thing. And, um, and I was able to get it in. This is the owner of the horse. It was really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. They have a whole, a whole field of equine coaching where you have to learn to shift your energy to be able to get the horse to do what you need them to do. (laughs) And and like equine chiropractors, is one of those fields. It's like, how did you end up in that? Like how did they even figure out about like fixing horses (laughs) and recorrecting their spine? Yeah, so I want to go a little bit back, Susan, because you're you like you are. I was going to use the word overachiever, but I think that's taken a negative context. It's not the case at all. You just kick ass at everything you put your mind to. You're a Harvard Law graduate, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yes, which is not what you do now, right? You, you got into the corporate uh, space, and then you got screwed over by a boss who left moments <laughs> after you started, and you moved into state. How would you describe what you do? to people that have never heard of Susan Drum now? Yes, it's, um, you know, helping people break through what holds them back so they can be everything they need to be in this world. I mean, ultimately, my mission is to help heal what holds you back so you can make a difference, a positive difference in the world. And we so need leadership. You know, when I, I think about the younger generation into the workforce, and I talk to them, they're so disheartened by the lack of what they see as good leaders. And then I talk to senior leaders and they're feeling overwhelmed by how much is changing and how quickly, and it's not like it used to be, right? And so their mental model can't keep up with that. So the work I do is leadership development. Um, That's the phrase, but underneath what I'm really doing is helping people really get connected to who they are as a person 
and to build their confidence and self-worth. Because when you truly love yourself and you understand yourself in a different way, the energy that you're putting out is going to shift everything. You know, it's like what that old Whitney Houston song, you know, the greatest love of all, like we've heard that, right? But what does that really mean? And I think I've had a lifetime of figuring out what that means for me. And I want to bring some of that wisdom through this book and others. But the work I'm really doing is helping people see that you are incredibly worthy. And there's ways in which you get in your own way and we can let those go. So you can be the beautiful soul that you are and the reason that you're here on the planet. Well, let, let's uh, address something that I've always been curious to know. And these are the people that you spend to- a lot of time with by the sounds of it. That, you know, they talk about CEOs of big organizations being uh, having psychopathic tendencies. What's your experience in, in that very general statement? Well, I'm not a psychotherapist, so I can't analyze from that perspective. Um, you know, I've been coaching almost 20 years and I just view it as there are different, uh, there are different stages. What I know is there's different stages of adult development. So just like children, there's different stages, there's different stages for adults. And, um, this was from, uh, work from, uh, an incredible Harvard researcher around how adults view the world and how that shifts as they grow. And the first level, which five to 10% of adults are still in, is the egocentric. And we often call this the teenage brain, which, you know, when you're a teenager, you haven't, your brain hasn't developed enough. And so your whole orientation is, what can you do for me? And I don't really, it's about my needs and I don't care about your needs, nor that I'd even notice that you have them because I'm just trying to get my needs met, right? And I can't even think about how I need to get things done through you. I'm just wanting what I want, right? And that's the egocentric. The next stage is reactive, which the reactive stage says, oh, now I learn, I, I, gotta, I gotta work with you a little bit to get what I want. Either I do complying behaviors such as I'm pleasing, go along to get along, you know, um, passive, or I'm protecting. So I've learned, you know how I get my results? I learned to be arrogant or a little distant or a little above you, like the superiority, right? And I learned to work with you that way and I project that. Or there's the controlling behaviors, which is I learned to move against power and that's how I get what I want. And I'm going to control you before you control me, essentially. So I'm going to be autocratic, more perfectionist, more just like, I need to have control of it. And each of those at that stage has oscillating results, meaning sometimes it works, but it's a big drag on the system. And a lot of times it doesn't. So the work we're really doing at this stage, and about 80% of adults are in that stage, right? We're really trying to move people from that reactive stage to the next level of adult stage development, which is the creative style. And the creative is more focused on a mission outside myself than I am about my identity, ego, and self-image. And so if I'm committed to the mission, it's not about me. I'm whole. I'm good. But this is really inspiring. So come on, everyone. Let's go after this thing, right? And it's less about like, 
me committed to looking good, being right, being in control, or being included. Not having those drivers drive your actions. Does it make sense? So when you say, are there psychopaths? I think it's just people stuck in the egocentric brain and they haven't advanced to the next level. Yeah. Or maybe they are. And I don't know. I'm not there to diagnose that level of dysfunction. <laughs> no, no. It's, it, it, I didn't mean it to be a loaded question at all. It, it's one of those things where I've had, you know, working in recruitment for 13 years uh, with a year out of my own, I had exposure to CEOs that were completely incompetent at people management and, and fundamentally their business suffered yeah. Um, as a result, especially when there's a downturn in Australia, we didn't really go through a GFC. We had the mining boom that kept us propped up. The house price never went, went never went down. It was stagnant for a little while there, but we never went through what the USA went through or other countries. I think what's happening in the world now, we're about to go through what I believe to be, and I don't want to be doom and gloom, but just as what it looks like it's going to be, a very significant financial uh, reset and and necessary as part of this this growth, and it's going to be interesting seeing the CEOs that are slave drivers or operate from a place of fear and scarcity versus the Jonathan Kaisers of the world, for example, who uh, you know what's his book? You don't have to be ruthless um, to win. Ruthless to win, right? Right. I, it seems to be that these these people and. Uh, Adrian Gostick, who's uh, a Marshall Goldsmith top 100 coach, him and um, his his business partner, like they do a lot of work around teaching CEOs to be like Jonathan. And it seems to be, there seems to be a lot of merit to that. I'm kind of verbally diarrheaing here, but I'm just uh, thinking out loud more than anything. Is that making yeah. sense? Yeah, it totally does. I mean, it, we're... We're coming on a stage where you, you're going to be faced with, um, you know, you got to up, upgrade your operating system or you're not going to be successful in how quickly it, it's sort of the environment is also forcing us to change um, and forcing us to change because we're used to the rate of change happening at a certain pace. And it's just accelerated so much that I think the thing I often hear is people are just overwhelmed and how do they, how do they handle it? And I think now more than ever, you need to look at, well, what's driving you, right? What's really driving, what's really your core motivator here? Because if it is around that identity, ego, and self-image piece, you're going to struggle. And so I, I feel like this is a leadership imperative, right? And I love this phrase um, called, the adaptive challenge. And Albert Einstein had this great quote, which is, our current problems cannot be solved by the level of consciousness that created them. So it's like this level of consciousness created this problem. We're going to have to upgrade till we can see the solution and upgrade our thinking. And I think a lot of people are just hearing this message for the first time. Yeah, it's really interesting. I did a uh, one of only two in-person corporate presentations last year back in Australia because we were in lockdown the entire time, and one was to a bank and one was to a, a group of uh, auditors within the bank, a very vanilla bunch, nice people but very vanilla, 30 people. None of them, not a single one of them had heard of Zig Ziglar, 
Les Brown, Brene Brown, or some other uh, Tony Roberts. And I was like, what hope have these people got for <laughs> succeeding? <in life?" laughs> and I could have easily stolen all of the quotes from all of those greats. And I, and I was explaining to people like, if you just learned about what, like one principle and Zig Ziglar's, you know, you can get whatever you want in life as long as you help enough other people get what they want, like that, that'll change your shit forever. How do you combat this? I don't want to use the word ignorance, but let's just call it ignorance, not unintentional ignorance in what you do. How do you combat that? I think people are, you know, as you get hungry, as you're open, you you will seek it out and you'll get interested. And for the ones that aren't, they're just not ready. I mean, I've certainly worked with people who are not coachable. They're not, their armor, they're too defended and they're not ready. And it's sad, but the reality is they have to wait till they get a belly full. I like that's the first step in my process in order to, to make a shift, you got to get a belly full. And what I mean by that, I was like, I had this roommate from Little Rock, Arkansas, and, and, and she would say to me, you know, I was like, oh, should I break up with this guy or not? And she's like, well, honey, you just haven't gotten a belly full yet. <laughs> like, you know, or you would know, right? And so when do we get to the point where like, no, no more, this is not working in my life. I need to make a shift. Why does it take that? Because it takes that level of suffering. And I hate that we have to suffer in order to make changes. But the reality is we like things the same as human beings, right? So in order to make the change, you got to have gotten a belly full and be able. And so I think these people, like, they probably just haven't had a belly full yet. Or or maybe it's just they really haven't heard. And that's okay. And and it'll impact other people. You can either listen to this and go, ah, that's nothing. I'm not. That's not for me. Okay. Like, awesome. Like, there's no wrong here. Yeah. I just think the suffering may come later, and that's my concern. Well, the, the what's interesting, Susan, is they really loved the concepts. They, they really thrived on learning. It was like this veil yeah. of, of uh, this burden of veil had come off them, for lack of a better phrase. I'm, I'm curious to know, like you, you get an opportunity and created opportunities to work with some of the most extraordinary people on the planet, and I would never expect you to name any names, but what is, what's a, a coaching client that was super-duper successful and what's the, the, an amazing outcome that you were able to elicit through the work you guys did together? Well, I think what think people would be surprised to know is, yes, having that level of resource opens all sorts of doors and can live an extraordinary life, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the demons in your head are tamed, that you are truly experiencing joy. In fact, a lot of times I don't see that, right? There's new burdens. I mean, think about it. A lot of times uh, I might be working with somebody who had an IPO and they're suddenly wealthy and they actually call that sudden wealth syndrome because now you don't know who you can trust. All these people come out of the work work. Everyone's hitting you up for money. And you're like, are you actually my friend or you want something from me? And I think that for any celebrity and anyone at that stature, that's a question they're always asking. And, and I think it starts to wear at the psyche a little bit because you don't know who is really the person you can trust, who is really in your community. And um, unless you know that you can trust yourself, right? That you get really clear with that. So I think that's what I would 
I would say about that, like they're human beings, just like everyone else. And I think that's why I've been able to work at that level. They're not gods, although it seems like the external world treats them that way. And that's actually not beneficial. So what, that's really interesting. What is what are some of the techniques that you would share with someone who's who's just gone IPO? They're, they're an overnight billionaire from nothing. What do you say to them? Well, I think we, it's a really good time to look at and clarify what your core values are and how those get expressed in your everyday life, and to use that as your boundaries or guidelines or guide rails. And then really clarifying your intentional path of what do you want to create from here? And I think when you have that level of clarity, but then I'm also looking behind the scenes, what's the core wound that's having them feel the way they feel. So I apply the leader's playlist process to that too. Um, And look at what could potentially get them holding them back from here and what do they need to do? So all of those getting a deeper understanding of who you are, getting a deeper understanding of your blind spot. And, and based on that, do you want to fill somebody in that can help look that direction? Because someone else can see the direction of your blind spot. How do you want to handle that? So these are all different, but everyone's unique, right? Because it depends on what they're, what they want out of the process and what their biggest challenge is. It's a, uh... It's good to know. I'm going to put it in the back pocket because I am going to be fabulously wealthy, and I call it "fuck you money," right? <laughs> um, because of <laughs> for a number of reasons, but I, I want to do amazing things. Uh, have you seen Mr. Beast on YouTube? I'm guessing you might have seen some of his stuff. No, you I haven't, haven't seen him. Okay, so so for those who don't know, Mr. Beast, I think he's 21, maybe 22. He's been on YouTube for about maybe a decade. And in the last few years, he's just exploded. And as he started monetizing his channel, he got he was getting uh, he was getting marketing revenue come through and other sponsorship deals. Yeah. And then he would just go and give the money away to like a homeless guy and film it. Yeah. And then and and so he's created the ultimate go giver uh, mentality. And people love it. I love it. I know seventy year old men that love watching his channel because it's so uplifting. And and with a flick of a pen, he just completely changes people's lives, gives away a million dollars, and he's given away all of his money. And uh, it's just such a great concept. I forget the whole point of why I brought up Mr. Beast. Well, people <laughs> rally around, look at that meaningful mission, right? So I always say, get your attention off yourself and what's a mission that you're committed to. He's committed to that. That's inspiring. That's like, I want to watch this guy. I want to see this. It's not about, I'm going to watch this because this guy thinks he's so great. Like that's not inspiring leadership. No, he, he doesn't at all. He's super, super annoyingly humble. And yeah, the point was about me having that F you money so that I could, you know, someone might come to me that has this wild idea for a crazy project that, that is benefiting humanity. And I want to just better sling a check and just watch what happens do you know what I mean? Like that's the kind of thing that really lights me up. Yes, yes. And so your ability to kind of focus on what the next, like what is the mission for you, as long as it's not coming from a place of, and I like the control of doing that. I like that I get to be the superhero, right? <laughs> so it is being a superhero. <laughs> there is something to looking at how much is it about the I, the ego and how much is it truly about 
the joy that can come from making a difference out of someone, right? And it's a subtle difference, but we know it when we see it. I, I honestly think it's the joy for the most part. I'm sure ego creeps in there at some point, but I grew up financially sure, without, without anything, right? I, yeah. and, and what was worse was I grew up in a poverty mindset. That was really the damage. Being Having no money is not a big deal at all. It taught me lots of tenacity and resilience. But, you know, there's been times in my life where I've had amazing ideas, no financial resources or any network to be able to get it done. Yeah. And then two years later, that's that's gone and made millions of dollars. And so I want to tap into young versions of me, male yes. or female, I don't care. Yes. And to be able to just say, there you go, son. There you go, yeah. daughter. Like, and then watch them, watch them flourish. That's yeah. that's where it I comes from. I love that. So tell me more about this book. Who's this book gonna help? Who do you well, hope it's going to help? The reality is it helps anyone, <laughs> but my playground is leaders and leadership. So it's a leadership book because I'm focusing both on younger generation leaders who may be, like I said before, fed up with what they're seeing is um, supposed like these people that are in charge that don't know how to lead other people and to give them another model and a way forward um, so they can accelerate more quickly. And I think it's for, you know, the mid-tier leader who really has the hardest thing. They're getting crushed. They've got to respond to kind of more senior level leadership, but they've got a different generation that they're managing. And maybe the more senior level doesn't understand how different the more junior relationship is, and they're caught in the middle. So they really need some help. That's that squeeze generation right now. And um, and then they're also wondering, how do I inspire this new group of leaders and generation that's coming into the workforce? How do I work with them in a way? Like, how can I do that? And it's not going to be from a command and control style, which was they were taught by more senior leaders, right? And then, of course, for the more senior leaders, it's like, look, if you want to scale your organization and keep being a talent magnet for people to come into your organization, you really need to look at how you're leading because Leadership culture is top down. You know, I have to joke because every I often get brought in to like by the senior team to like work with the next level down. We need to fix them. And I always want to go, okay, we can do that. But what about you? <laughs> because the way you're leading, I guarantee is affecting that. And what often <laughs> happens is if I don't, I'll, we'll do all this work. And then, you know, let's say the next level down is like, but why aren't they doing this? And I said, <laughs> you're going to get that. So you better be doing something. And usually people get that. And, and that's how the program starts. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's so funny. I, one of my favorite things, I don't know why this is a favorite thing. I haven't had many opportunities to do it, but I warn all of the, the hiring managers that bring me in to speak that it's possible that people are going to resign after the knowledge I'm going to share with them. And it's got, I've got a hundred percent success rate. And I'm kind of like, am I helping them just clear out the, the, the wood or the chafe? Like, or is, is, am I causing pain? And I think it's the former. Do you have this, have you had this experience in what you do? Um, yeah, I think people get an awakening that they're not in the right place and they need to make a shift. And um, 
I mean, ultimately, I think when you're in your zone of genius, right, you're going to be the best that you can be in any place. So it's just a matter of time as you find your way. You know, I didn't get into leadership development. Uh, It took several different career twists and turns before I found, ah, this is what I need to be doing. And if you look at my career early on, it was like all these why did she leave? Why did she not practice law? Why did she, she, you know, worked and as a marketing and business development that didn't stick. And then she was an actor and got a master's in acting and like, what's going on here and all that stuff. I had no idea, but it all works in what I do to now. And now I've been doing it almost 20 years. So it is about like, I think continuing iterating till you find like, no, this is, this is the path forward for me. Well, there's something in all my research I didn't come across. I didn't know you were an actress. Oh, yes. So is there anything we would have seen? This is after law school. This is five years after graduating from Harvard Law. I'm in and this is I was I was I'd kind of now had two different work for two different employers. Um, I did strategy consulting for a while. I did um, marketing and business development and also Six Sigma. I was a black belt and a master black belt in Six Sigma. Um, And and I was sort of fed up with how I was being led, like what, you know, and, and culture. And I, that's where I learned, you know, you have the greatest strategy in the world, but if the culture doesn't accept that you're dead in the water. So I love that phrase, like culture, eats strategy for breakfast. Cause, and so I was so fed up. I wanted to do something different. I just needed, I just needed a mix it up. And I went to, um, I started auditioning for drama schools in London And I got into this master program from the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art. And I did this, did this program and it was like Shakespeare and Restoration Theater and Chekhov, all the classics and totally different, right, than than my career path. People thought it was crazy, but there was something, my intuitive gut was like, there's something drawing me there. Now, I use so much of that training in the work I do today. It's like, that's where I first got this concept that we have this inner critic in our head because as an actor, if you don't get clear about what that is, you're not going to show up authentically and be able to connect to your fellow actor. If I'm, if I got the inner critic worrying about what the guy in that first row is doing, right. Um, I'm not going to be present with my actor. And so I think you learn so much about yourself and acting about being present, about being authentic, about dealing with the inner critic. And I thought, God, there's got to be a way you could bring this to business. So I didn't know it at the time, but it all came back around. So yes, well, well, well. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. That that gentleman I mentioned off camera, Robert Mack, you should check him out for those that are listening. He also was an actor and a model. Oh yeah. And and I've done some acting as well. I, I wasn't formally trained or anything, but I I think we've got a natural knack for it, being in the service industry or whatever yeah. you want to call it, like. I don't know. It's there's a lot of uh, another guy, David uh, Wood, that I was talking to today. He's an Australian guy. He's he's a, an author and a speaker and a coach. He's also still working as a professional actor in Hollywood. There's something in this. Yeah, there's something interesting. In this. Interesting. Mm. When when I did my audio book, I took great delight in doing accents for different quotes. I did a John Lennon quote, and I and I can do not so bad, you know, Beatles accent, and that probably sounds a bit more like Paul McCartney, but you know what I mean? It's one of those things, really. We're just abandoned, and it's very big, that's all. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love that. And people love, I'm sure that was so engaging because people love hearing the vocal variety. And that's something an actor is really good at. And, you know, being able to effectively communicate at the level that you're operating at. And I know, I know it's, you know, these are just other human beings, but there's, there's an air of, um, uh, I don't know, responsibility to try and get outcomes maybe in another, in another scenario that wouldn't be quite so important. You know, if, if the company's going to collapse, if, it, if the outcome's not great. Yeah. Susan, how can people get a hold of you? <laughs> well, uh, two things. You can go to my website, which is susandrum.com. Uh, and that's S-U-S-A-N-D-R-U-M-M.com. And I have an interesting quiz on there about enlightened leadership. So you can see what your superpower is in enlightened leadership and what may be getting in your way and something to pay attention to. And I also have a podcast and a YouTube channel myself called The Enlightened Executive. And I'd love to see you there. We interview all sorts of incredible CEOs, senior leaders who have uh, walked the talk on conscious leadership. And we hear about their journeys. And we also focus on what are the latest and greatest techniques to help you become a better human and a better leader. Everything from tech to assessments to programs and um, have a lot of fun over there too. So love to see you either place. And I'll include the links to the uh, podcast in the show notes below. Make sure you subscribe and get on there and like and uh, share some of these amazing videos. Um, I was going to say something else. Oh, you can also uh, oh. get the book on the leadersplaylist.com, but it, oh, you can get the, it on my website. Too. Yeah, the book, the book, the book. So yeah. the book, when, when this comes out, the book will be live. It'll be endorsed by amazing people who have a foreword written by someone who's yet to be revealed. And um, I am a connector on the on the quiz. Yeah. And, uh, yes, and you are. It's a no-brainer. <laughs> uh, that's been coming up a lot in my life recently. Yeah. Susan, do you have any concluding thoughts for our audience today? I think just that to know that if you're struggling in any area, it's normal, but you're so worthy. And if you could look at yourself from a loving perspective, you'll be able to move through the struggle more quickly. So I always like to say, you are so worthy. And you are so worthy. Ladies and gentlemen, Susan Drum. Seven days a week and 24 hours. Yup, I got the business saying this boy sure is up to something. Why don't you come and listen? Just don't hit the power button. They say I'm crazy when I say I got them superpowers. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this if you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.